This is the Kingdom Manhattan podcast from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldet. Today's sermon is going to be looking at Judges 4, and we're going to be focusing on leadership, looking at Deborah and Jael. And I read in Jesus' name. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heroshef Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Kadesh Naphtali, I don't know why those SHs are having a hard time with today, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon and his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in uh, Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Hereseth Hagoim, Hagoim to the river of Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go up before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera, and all his chariots, and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the the army to Heresheth Hagoim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, and do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please, give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So he opened a skin, she opened a skin of milk, and gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is there anyone here? Say, No. But Jael, but Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And then she went softly to him 
and drove the peg into his temple until it went into the ground when he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you were seeking. So he went to her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent pig in his temple. And on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to study your word, Lord, I ask that you would grant us wisdom and grace, Lord, that your power would be at work even in our hearts, Lord, to change us and to make us more like Christ. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so this is, this is tough for me because there's, there's so much in here. You know, like, where do I, where do I stop? Um, where do I even start for that matter? So instead of looking at every aspect, because then we would be here far too long, and, you know, I can only remember so much. Uh, so I didn't want to actually have to take notes for my own sermons. Um, so we're just going to be looking at Deborah and Jael, and we're going to be looking at them in light of the leadership that they express. Uh, because there's a lot of, how would I say this, um, bad leadership within our culture. Yeah, I would say that. And it comes both from men and from women. It, it falls apart because bad leadership creates bad leaders and bad followers. And so then there's rebellion within the ranks. The leaders aren't listening to the people. The people are rebelling against the leaders. And we, we get chaos. And so here we're going to start out looking at servant leadership because Deborah and Jael, as they express this leadership, they're expressing their leadership from an well, they're not in a position of authority. They're actually in a lower, a lowly position. Because this is a patriarchal society. You know, and, and so... In, yeah, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. So, with that, Deborah. We start out looking at Deborah. And, and Deborah, uh, she's actually a great woman to emulate. And when I say that, I don't, I don't say just to women. But... Rather, when it comes to how do we influence in this world, because that's what leadership really is. So when I talk about leadership, I'm not just talking about companies. I'm not just talking about organizations. I'm not just talking about husbands and parents and, you know, and wives and all of that stuff. That's, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about influence. How do we influence our world? Because we're in a world that needs to be influenced. Because I would say that, uh, you know, the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there's a lot of people who are on it. And so, how do we influence this world for right and for good? So when we start out looking at Deborah, Deborah was a prophetess. And this is really important because Deborah was a person who was in a relationship with God. Really, that's ultimately what a prophet or a prophetess is. The only difference between a prophet and a prophetess is a prophet was a guy and a prophetess was a lady. And so, pretty simple. But, uh, so, 
Deborah was a prophetess. Deborah heard from God. God spoke to Deborah. And that's important because God speaks to us. Now, Deborah, during Deborah's time, they had the Pentateuch. They had the first five books of the Bible. And so she had that. They had that. But also then, they didn't have any of the other stuff. And so when, when there was a question, when there was a need, uh, God would speak to Deborah and say, he would speak theoretically directly to Deborah. That's why they would call her a prophetess. So thankfully, by the grace of God, we have the whole of Scripture. You know, and, and we're called to know that. But at the same time, God still speaks today. And even, even though I'm a Lutheran, <laughs> I still believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul tells us in, oh, I'm forgetting which book, First uh, or Second Thessalonians, I don't remember which one, do not despise prophecy, but test every spirit. And so I don't think that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have just gone away because that would invalidate Paul's discussion there in one of the, to the Thessalonians. Um, it's at the end of one of the books. If you want to look it up, you're welcome to. And then you can correct me later on because I know you guys like doing that. Um, but she was a prophetess and God spoke to her. And, and this is the importance here is that this is what God does to us. God speaks to us as Christians. God speaks to us as we study his word. God speaks to us as we apply his word into our lives. God teaches us through that. Sometimes God speaks directly. Sometimes he doesn't. I don't think we have the right to demand that God would speak directly because obviously he is God and we don't really have the right to demand anything of him. But as God speaks to us and teaches us, he gives to us that which is necessary for this world. And in all honesty, it's been amazing for me to see personally as I've applied the word of God into my own life to see how God then gives me opportunities to apply those truths into the lives of other people. You know, because again, we live in a world that needs the truth of God. And so as you sit there and as I stand here, each and every one of us stands here and sits there as prophets and prophetesses to bring the word of God into this world. Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to speak to you directly through dreams or visions or things of that sort, but rather that he is giving you his word to bring into this world, into a world that needs it, into a world that is nominal and, and dead for the most part. Secondly, even though she has that relationship with God, she also sits in a position of humility because Deborah doesn't march into the you know, the temple or the tabernacle in Shiloh, because the tabernacle is in Shiloh at this time. She doesn't march into the temper- tabernacle of Shiloh and say, Hey, you numbskulls, you're getting this wrong. I'm going to set you straight. Because she sits, oh, where is it? Under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. Shiloh was the home of the tabernacle. That's where the priests and the Levites were doing their thing. Um, and Bethel was the capital of Ephraim. And so she's not coming in as a political leader either. She's actually sitting out in the countryside. She's sitting, she's making herself, she's not putting herself forward. She's just sitting out under the tree of Deborah. She is a prophetess, but she's not saying, Israel, you got to listen to me. She's not demanding political authority. She's not demanding religious authority. She's just speaking forth the word of God. And to some degree, this is what we as Christians are called to do. Actually, to a great degree. 
Because I'm a Christian, but does that give me the right to walk into some other church and say, hey, you numbskulls, you're getting it wrong. No. Are there times when I'd like to do that? Yeah, sometimes. Just to be honest. But that also doesn't give me the right to walk up to St. Paul, you know, and sit in the Senate and say, I am here to vote because I'm a Christian. It doesn't give me that right. Christianity doesn't give me political authority, and it doesn't give me authority over the organization, the religious organizations. What it gives to me is a knowledge of God. And so I take that, we bring that. I take that, we take that, and we bring that into this world. And so we take that, we bring that in a position of humility. How do we influence this world? It's not by running an organization, nor is it by running a country. It's by being faithful to what God has given us. This is how we influence the world. We influence the world from a position of humility. And the Levites were getting it wrong. You know, they were, obviously, because if the priests and the Levites were getting everything right, odds are Israel wouldn't have been running into these problems. The church at this point was failing. Sadly. And so what did they need? They needed an outsider to come in to proclaim the word of God truly. And that's what Deborah is. But she doesn't come and take over. She's faithful to what God has given her. And you can do that at any position, anywhere. It doesn't matter what's gone in, on in your life. It doesn't matter if you're male. It doesn't matter if you're female. People use Deborah to say that we should have female pastors. And I read this and I'm like, that's not what it's saying at all. That, that, you can't even take that from here. But whatever. If you want to make that argument, fine, but you can't make it from here. Um, I'm not going to get into all the potential arguments because that's just going to spin my wheels. So she's just showing, she's walking in humility. She's not walking as a position of authority, but she's just coming presenting the truth of God. And so, and she's making judgment. So what does that mean? So there's three ways that you can take this word. One, you can take this, that she's a, a leader, that she is leading Israel. And actually the NIV translates it that way. NIV translates this word judgment as leading Israel. I would argue that that's not the best way to translate that within this context. Because the people of Israel don't have a leader. <laughs> you know? They, they, a judge wasn't a leader. He was a regional leader, perhaps. But wasn't a leader as in a king over Israel. Rather... People came to her for judgment. She was, well, I'm going to read that again. Um, now Deborah, a prophetess, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So what does it mean for her to be judging? That means she's giving judgment. It's right within the same context. So we might as well use it. So people have disputes. So, you know, we say that Abby and Colton were having some problems. And they would come to someone that's wise and experienced and say, and, you know, Abby would say, Colton, you're doing this. And Colton would say, no, I'm not. I'm doing this. And, you know, they're in an argument. And because, you know, they're humans, they're not listening to each other. And so they have to come to a judge to settle their argument. You guys would never get into an argument anyways, though. You're still dating. Um, that doesn't come until you get married. Uh, no. <laughs> Colton, just remember, 
yes, dear, and I'm sorry. That'll fix a lot of things. Um, Yeah. So she's giving judgment. So obviously, somewhere along the line, Deborah's been earning the trust of all of the people of Israel. Because they're coming up to her for wisdom. They're coming up to her for guidance. They can't figure this out, and so they're going to Deborah for this. And so when the nation of Israel needs help, where do they go? To the one that's established her trustworthiness. We don't establish trustworthiness by doing big things. We establish trustworthiness by doing little things faithfully. And so she's judging Israel faithfully, case after case after case. And now when the nation of Israel finally realizes, hey, we're being trampled by Sisera and his army, how do we fix this? Well, let's go to the person that's trustworthy, that seems to speak, that speaks from God. And so then they come to Deborah. Does that make sense? And so Deborah has established this position of trust within the nation of Israel because she is representing God. She is walking in humility. She's not taking over. She's walking in humility. And she's faithfully judging the cases that God brings to her. She's faithfully doing the job that God has for her. And as she does that faithfully, she rises in power and prestige. You know, had she not been faithful in that, odds are we would never have heard about Deborah. But because she's faithful in little things, God has given her big things. So how do you influence people? Be faithful in the little things. Speak from God. And she communicates. And she communicates to Barak. And I love the way that she interacts with Barak. Because again, remember, she's a woman. And not in a feminist culture like America. You know, America, it seems that in some ways, women have more authority than men do because of their women. Um, I know that's one of the reasons why some of these political candidates are saying that they should be elected, you know, because they're women. Whatever. <laughs> but within this culture, if you're a woman, you don't get a say. And so when she comes to Barak, She doesn't say, hey, I'm a prophetess. Hey, I've been judging Israel. Hey, I've been doing all this. Actually, she just comes up to him and says, didn't God say this to you? She's appealing to his reason. Didn't God say, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000, whatnot. Hasn't God told you this? So somewhere along the line, it seems... Barak's already been told this. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. But you know the problem is? He's a man. He knows what he's supposed to do, but he's just not doing it. You guys are probably aren't ever like that. And so he's like me. Maybe I'll just say that. I know what I'm supposed to be doing oftentimes, but I don't feel like it or I don't want to do it. And so then Kirsten, unfortunately, and welcome back, has um, options. So... What are those options? She can start nagging me. She can start putting me down. You're such a putz. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Why are your socks on the floor still again, again, again? You know, and what's nagging? You nag someone because you want them to get annoyed enough that they're finally going to do what you want them to do. Right? That's what nagging is. And so if Kirsten's nagging me, is she appealing to my reason? No. She's appealing to my emotion. She wants me to get so irritated, 
She actually doesn't nag me hardly ever, which is, thank you for that, by the way. Um, when you're nagging someone, you want them to get so irritated that they finally give in. That's not what Deborah does at all. All she does, she appeals to an authority. And she appeals to his reason. Has not the Lord already told you what to do? So, do it. You know, Barak's coming up to Deborah for judgment. What should we do? You already know. Do it. You know, that's where we stand too, right? How many times do we know what to do? And it's like, I don't want to. I'm going to come up with an excuse. No. Do it. You know what to do. Do it. And that's how we influence when we don't have the authority. We point to another authority. This is what God has said to do. And so when people come to me for judgment or counsel, it's like, okay, what does the word of God have to say? What does God say about this? Okay, now we know what God has to say about this. So what are we going to do? What God says. So do it. And that's how you lead from a position of humility. From not a position of authority. Because the person with authority says, you know what, I outrank you. I am older than you. I am smarter than you. I have an education. You're just a farmer. And whatever. You know? (laughs) Some of you have experienced some of those things. I've heard about them. Um, you know, but what's that? That's an appeal to my authority. When I come in underneath and I say, you know, this is what God wants of us. Here's where it says that. This is how we should be acting. And then Barak comes back at her and says, I'm not going to go unless you come with me. She says, okay. She's willing to cooperate with him. She's not saying, hey, Barak, it's either my way of interpreting this or no way of interpreting this. Because we know that Barak's supposed to do this, right? He's supposed to go and get this army. He's supposed to lead that army. But God doesn't tell him who to bring with and who not to bring with. He doesn't say, do this alone. Do this by yourself. Had God said that, I'm guessing Deborah wouldn't have cooperated. But since that wasn't specified, Deborah says, I'll come with. I'll help. You know, because she's not just thrusting Barak forward and all of his terror and lack of confidence. She's saying, I'll come with you. She's representing God. I'll come with you. I'll walk through this with you. And so she's cooperating with Barak, which is great to see because this is our call as Christians. Our call is to walk with people through the difficult times in their lives. We're not supposed to just stand back from them and say, you know, point the finger and yell at them. Hey, you're going the wrong direction. We're actually supposed to be there with them. Say, you know, this isn't working, is it? Maybe we need to change course. Hey, this isn't going the right way. Hey, God said that we're supposed to be going there. We're supposed to be doing this. You know, we're supposed to live our lives with other Christians. And as non-Christians interact with us, we're supposed to help them through these times of difficulty too. To cooperate with them, to get them to do what God wants them to do. Because ultimately, you know, this sounds kind of manipulative, but the reality is, We're not manipulating people to our end. We want them to know God. I hope. I hope that's the end that you have. And so we want to influence them towards that end. And so we cooperate with them. We walk with them to this end. Because a lot of people have a hard time taking that first step. It takes a lot of courage to take that first step. Say, you know what, I'm 
I'm going to do what I've never done before. And so we walk with them through that. But she gives the warning. And you know, that's important too. His warning was, if you walk like this, then sister is not going to be given into your hand. He's going to be given into the hand of woman. And so as, as we live life with non-Christians around us, not only do we proclaim to them the right that needs to be done, but when they're doing wrong, when they're refusing to take the responsibility on themselves, we need to give them that warning. You know, we cooperate with them, absolutely. But at the same time, you need to grow too. You know, if you're relying on me, and I say this as pastor, if you guys are relying on me for everything, to lead everything within the church, the church won't grow. Why? Well, because I'm one. We're many. You know, if, if, all, if everything has to go through the pastor, it's ultimately going to fall apart. We all have to take these responsibilities upon ourselves ultimately. Barak is saying here, I don't want, I'm not going to do this if you don't come with me. And so what's he doing? He's saying, I've got to rely on you. I can't rely on God myself. And so we each individually are called to humbly obey God. And when we see people not doing that, we have to warn them. You know, unless you start taking your own responsibility, you're not going to grow. Because that's the whole thing about, uh, you know, this outreach and evangelism. Why are we doing that? You know, it's, it's so that we ourselves can learn more about what we've been given. It's so that we can trust God ourselves. It's giving us those opportunities to see God work. You know, why does God give us children? So that we have to take responsibility over someone else, you know, over this world. To stand on our own two feet. And if we don't... Well, the glory will be given to another. Which is what ends up happening with Barak because he doesn't step up on his own. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So I looked for a good picture of JL and a lot of them were pretty gruesome. Um, and so I thought this is probably, uh, we'll go with this one. Um, so what do we do when we face opposition? Because you're going to face opposition. When you're seeking to influence the world for Christ, you're going to face opposition. Period. That's the way it's going to be. First off, we strive to build relationships with these people. Now, the Kenites were normally down, far down south. They were down in Judah, down by the Negev. And so they were at the bottom of Israel, essentially. And for some reason, this Kenite... Um, Heber the Kenanite, the Kenite, not the Kenanite, that's a different group. Um, the Heber the Kenite had separated and gone up north, uh, up near Kadesh. And so as they were up there, they were at peace with Jabin. And Jabin's the king at Hatsor, and they were at peace with all of these people. And so they had been building a relationship with the non-Israelites. Now the Kenites weren't really Israelites either, but they had thrown in their lot with Israel. But they were building relationship with the non-Christians. And so as we're seeking to influence this world, what do we do? We build, we influence it through relationship. And this is one of the reasons why I'm not really a huge proponent of the 
old-fashioned way of door-to-door evangelism. You know, you knock on the door, kind of like Jehovah's Witnesses do. Um, knock on the door, hey, do you got five minutes? And then, sure, I'll talk to you for five minutes. And here they come out with their materials. Boom! You know, read this. Here's a watchtower. Here's a tract. And, you know, and, well, they don't come to my house anymore because I'd spent too much time talking to them. Um, which is kind of sad. I enjoyed that. But they never built a relationship with me. I don't even know any of their names. Like, they were hesitant to give me their names, which I thought was really strange. You know, why aren't you willing to build a relationship with me? And so the first step is to build that relationship, because as we build that relationship, we earn trust. And as we earn trust, we then have open doors for kindness, to bring love into this person's life. Because the reality is, especially nowadays in our social media culture, a lot of people don't know what it means to be loved. They think having more friends on Facebook will somehow satisfy them. More followers on Twitter or Instagram. Or, you know, more fights on Reddit. That's what they think. Sad. They don't know, what it, they don't know that, you know, people couldn't actually care for me. In order to do that, we actually have to care for them. Care about them. Talk to them. You know, but that comes through relationship. We show kindness. And that's what J.L. did. Starting with the relationship, she showed kindness to Sisera. She brought him in. She allowed him into her life. You know, brought him into the tent. There's a bunch of debate as to whether this was the woman's tent or not the woman's tent. I don't know. It doesn't say explicitly. And I'm not enough of a cultural nerd to, you know, have delved hours into that debate. And so... Whatever tent she let him into, it was still her home. She let him in. And then she gave him kindness above and beyond even what he asked for. He asked for water. What did she give? Give milk. Gave actually a a fairly precious resource. Because it was one thing to give someone cheese because that had already been curdled and processed and dealt with and it's stable. But this is milk. This is something that's new and it's fresh. You know, and they didn't have a lot of that. They didn't just have milk lying around. It's not like us. They didn't have refrigeration. You know, so she's giving him a gift. She went above and beyond what he asked. She's showing kindness. And then within that, well, she had a purpose. Her purpose hopefully will be different than yours. Um, Note to self, don't drive a tent pig through anyone's temple. Not a good idea. But that was her purpose. Her goal in doing this, in building this relationship and expressing this trust and bringing this kindness in, was so that she could kill him. And I really hope that you guys don't do that. Um, if you have any inklings of that, talk to me first. We'll get that taken care of. Um, I'll help. No, I won't help. Uh, but rather, what does this teach us? How do we get to that goal? We have to have that purpose. Because a relationship really isn't an end in itself. There should be goals and hopes and desires for every relationship that we have. If you have a relationship with a non-Christian, someone whose life is messed up, don't you want their life to be better? Don't you want them to come to know Jesus? Like, isn't that one of your purposes? So you should pursue that purpose within that relationship because that relationship is really just a vehicle. A relationship is a vehicle. It's an investment. It's, it's like, it's a, it's a currency that we have. We need to use these things. 
use these things in the world because of our relationships. So I've had people say to me, well, you know, I'm just, I'm hesitant. I'm scared to share the gospel with someone because what are they going to say to me? Or what if, what if I lose a friend? It's like, then they probably weren't a very good friend. If you talk to them about Jesus and they say, you know what, I'm not going to spend any more time with you. Yeah, that's a good sign that they weren't really a good friend. You know, and so if our relation, really, is our relationship with the person more important than their relationship with God? No. There's no relationship that's that valuable. Because that's the difference between heaven and hell, life and death for people. You know, this, this should be our primary goal as we interact with people to have this goal in mind. And I'll be honest with you. I have two goals in mind as I interact with people. Uh, you know, there are other subsidiary goals and whatnot, but two main ones. One, I want them to come to know Jesus. Two, if they know Jesus, I want them to come to know Jesus better. These are my goals. You know, that's my purpose for my relationships. It's not, I don't just build relationships in order to build relationships. Relationships are hard for me. They take a lot of work for me. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I'm Norwegian or selfish or male or I don't, maybe, whatever. Lutheran. <laughs> but they're intentional because I want to see those things happen in everybody's lives. Jael's purpose was to end the reign, the tyranny of Jabin. Really, our goal should be to end the tyranny of Satan in the lives of these people that we're interacting with. So I want to encourage you today, be an influencer. But influence not from a position of authority. Influence from a position of humility. Be trustworthy. Know God. Bring the truth of God forward. Be trustworthy in your actions. Consistent. Humble. And so then as people come to you, as you build that relationship, you can pursue that ultimate purpose that God would be known in their lives and that they themselves would walk with God. If they need help with that right away, then help them. If they take off with it, then praise God, because then you can go and work somewhere else. Because I'll tell you what, I don't think everyone's going to be saved before Jesus gets back. There's a lot of work out there. There's a lot of people who need Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story. Lord, and as, as I examine my life and my failures to act like this, I ask that you would forgive me. Lord, and I ask that you would guide us to walk like Deborah in jail. Lord, that you would be glorified through us, that you would be made known into the lives of the people around us. Lord, that that they would get to experience the glory of the kingdom of God. Lord, that they would know your love and your care and your forgiveness and your wisdom and your guidance and your grace and your presence. Lord, all that you offer. Lord, that this world would come to know you rightly, truly, deeply. Bless us as we bring the kingdom into this world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to ever watch one of these sermons, you can always check out our YouTube page, Hosanna Free Lutheran Church, or you can check us out online at www.hosannafreelutheran.com.